Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. The character of God knows everything and His knowledge is complete. Let's write that down. God knows everything and His knowledge is complete. And the fancy theological word for that is God's omniscience. You, if, if I had to ask you, say, say you take an A4 piece of paper like this, and I said, all the knowledge in our universe was on this piece of white paper here. Every thesis ever written, every understanding of architecture, science, education, medicine, all the knowledge of the universe is encapsulated on this piece of paper. And I asked you to come up here and take a pen and draw a circle or or make a size of how much knowledge you think you have of of this knowledge. Now, if you're very humble, you might need a microscopic pen with a microscopic dot. Now, 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 here's the thing. That's just the knowledge that we know. God's knowledge is infinitely as far as you could travel in that direction, east and west, as far as you could travel up and down, that's how big this piece of paper would be. But your little dot stays the same. And it just continues in size. The omniscience of God, the all-knowing, says in Isaiah 40, verse 28, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. To fathom is to get to the bottom of it, to to plummet it. The second thing about, about the character of God is that God is able to bring to pass everything that he chooses. This is referred to as the omnipotence. Of God. God's able to bring everything to pass. He's got no external limitations. His only limits are those that he places on himself. And right early in the revelation of Scripture, uh, it was penned like this in Genesis 18. It simply asks, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is no. God who has all power. We're looking at the the characteristics of God. The characteristics of God, you could say, is the nature of God, as revealed through the Scripture. And secondly, thirdly, we see that God is present in all places. Thanks, yeah, you can do that, Ash. At all times. We speak of God's omnipresence in um, the fact that God is in heaven on His throne, but Proverbs says that his eyes are in, are in every place on the earth. And Jeremiah says that God, that no one can hide himself from God. But maybe the best example we've got of God's omnipresence is where David captured it. And he said in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light, the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I think David had something of a grasp of God's presence being everywhere. Not like some false idol that you could step out the room and walk out you know, and go and hide in darkness. But even in darkness, God is, sees it as light. The revelation through Scripture of, of, of God as being absolutely unchanging. The technical word for that is immutable. That simply means that, that all His attributes, all His characteristics, the nature of God is never going to change. Our understanding of God may be progressively increased. Even through Scripture, you see, Scripture is so honest because it often starts with first statement of things about God that are in their most simplistic form. But as it develops and as it grows and it moves through the cross, we begin to see that expanded. But that doesn't mean God is changing. It means we are changing. Our minds are changing. Our minds are being re renewed because God is immutable. And that's what gives us confidence is that God's all power is always going to be all power. That God's all knowledge is always going to be all knowledge. Because God is immutable. He's unchanging. And we, in Malachi 3 verse 6 it says, I am the Lord. I change not. Now, I'm only putting up one scripture at a time on each of these topics, as, uh, uh, each of these characteristics of the nature of God. But there are hundreds. I've got lists, reams of, of pages of scriptures that we wouldn't get through in one night. So it was quite a, a challenge just selecting one or two per characteristic uh, that, that can somehow uh, capture. But in the, in the guidelines that I'm going to be giving out to the life group leaders, and who, if anyone else wants, uh, there, there'll be a clipboard where you can just put your email and then we can mail it to you. Uh, you'll see that there's dozens of, of scriptures in a progressive unfolding on each one of these points. You see, a big part of uh, what we're wanting to do at the outset of this teach time is to find out what the word view is and not just what sounds nice or palatable or acceptable in today's culture. We want to know what the Word of God teaches about the nature and the character of God. And you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but how am I going to pass this on to someone else? I mean, some of these words I can't even pronounce properly. Well, don't worry about that. Just get an exalted view of God for yourself. Because you can never give away what you haven't got. And when you know that your God is all-knowing, that His knowledge is perfect, 
When you know that your God is all-powerful, when you know that your God never changes, it's from that position of faith that the lives around us are affected. Because we just live it out in a natural, ordinary way in a conversational relationship with this, this mighty God. Number five, God is timeless in his own being. This, is, this characteristic is, is about God being eternal. And Psalm 90 says it so well. Many times I'm going to read from the, the Psalms, just because there was something about David, an Old Testament man, who had such a New Testament understanding. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I mentioned this on Sunday, I'll say it again, that time, as we understand it, that clock at the back of the room telling me I've got 35 minutes left, time as we understand it, started when the Big Bang happened, or when God said, let there be. And when he said, let there be, there was a Big Bang. Okay? They're not two different things. In the beginning, God. That's when time, as, as we know it, the cosmic clock was wound up and began to throw out calendars and clocks and times and dates. But before that, God was eternal. God didn't need a calendar or a clock. He just was. And after it's all comes to an end, this big bang that they say is ever increasing and expanding, at some point reaches its maximum and begins collapsing into itself. Whatever way God designed to wrap up the ends of the, the age, he will be forever on the other side. But this time, with a bride for his son. His church for eternity. But we had a starting place. And this is what the Greek philosophers battled to understand. The, the, the Hebrew writers seemed to make more peace with the fact that God was eternal. They just accepted it. But the, 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 the Greek philosophers and the, the, at the time of the, the writing of the New Testament, a lot of the, 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 the Greek scholars really struggled with this and came up with all kinds of weird explanations for, for God. They couldn't compute that something could never have begun. That it just was. When God speaks in the eternal now, I am that I am. Even the word I am is in a present continuous state. It's one of those Greek verbs that is just extraordinary because it it conveys such a, a present that is just always. In the past, he was present and always, and in the future, he's going to be present and always. I am that I am. God, thirdly, uh, sixthly, is holy. This is an interesting one because out of all the, the attributes and, and characteristics of God, he seems like the, he mentions this one the most throughout Scripture. And even in Isaiah, it's more than 30 times God is referred to as 
being holy. Um, when God revealed himself to Moses, Job, Isaiah, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was all about the holiness of God. So, so, so what is this holiness? Well, well, let's read in Revelation 4 verse 8 where uh, it says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There, that passage wraps up God's eternity, but that is holy. So what is this holy thing? Well, it's unlike what we maybe think, like a holy Joe or like a, you know, like a prim and proper person. To, to be holy um, is, is to be completely separate, completely unique, completely untouched by ordinary uh, it, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have any uh, iniquity in it or, or deceit or there's no lie, there's no shadow of turning. There's, to, be, to be set apart means that God is unlike anything else. He's completely different to anything that could be evil or wicked or uh, the gods of of. of of the natural realm, served in temples made out of gold and, and wood. God is holy. He's separate. This was something that Israel carried as, as a nation, that God is holy. He's apart. He's separate. And here's the thing. Because God is holy, when he acts, he acts righteously. And that's the seventh characteristic of God, which is similar to being holy, but it's, it's the outworking. Because God is holy, His acts, the way He deals with you and me, is expressed in righteousness. And there's many, hundreds of scriptures speaking about the righteousness of God. I, I, I was drawn back to Psalm 139, where it's a prophetic announcement of, of the crucifixion of Jesus. And it says, Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of wickedness. Even in the worst suffering that Jesus went through and separation and uh, feelings of abandonment and, and whatever he endured at the cross, he still knew that God is righteous. Isn't that an awesome truth there? That no matter what stage you are in your journey of faith, you can still know that God is righteous. Job said, though the Lord slay me, yet will I praise him. He just got to that stage where he said, yes, you can say, but if God's all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing, then why, why, why has this happened to this one? Why is that? And, and you can run around in circles trying to answer those questions. But at some stage you go, I know that I know that though he even slay me, I will praise him. Jesus, prophetically through the psalm, is saying, even though uh, plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, the Lord is still He's righteousness, and he cuts me free from the cords of the wicked. I almost wanted to pause here when I was, I was meditating on these characteristics, these ten characteristics of God. And just, Lord, 
That, that's where faith kicks in. That's where faith kicks in. When I don't have the answers in the natural. When I wrestle with, but why God? What about that? What about that person? What about that situation? And we wrestle with it. I'm just reminded again that because God is holy, I can know that everything he, need, he does in my life is right and righteous. My God, who knows all things. I mean, come on. How much I can trust someone who knows everything and has all power and is present in every part of the universe and has been present from eternity past to eternity future. If that God is unchanging and he's holy, I can believe that he will do what's righteous. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Are you with me? Am I with you? Sorry, I should, I should ask if I'm with you. Yeah, okay, there. You don't mind if I drink some water? Lord, give us an exalted view of who you are. That's what it means to walk in the fear of God. You know, that, that subject of the fear of God, I, I used to be so scared of it. Excuse the... Because it brought up so many ideas. But the fear of God is just this, what we're talking about here tonight. That God is just awesome beyond everything I've ever imagined or think or dream of. He's bigger than all of that. He's bigger than my concepts of, of even the Bible and the gospel and the church and everything. And that is the fear, the fear of God. Okay, this is a teach time, Steve, not a preach time. So God is sovereign. Characteristic number eight. This is how God rules in his creation. He's sovereign. In other words, the boss von die Plas. What God says, what God wants to do, he doesn't need anybody's permission. He doesn't need to get it theologically correct according to some uh, institution or some cemetery, I mean seminary. He just does what he wants to do, the way he wants to do it. That's why I love the way the Bible starts. It just says, in the beginning, God created. There you go. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know? And I've read most interesting works of highly educated scientists and, and, and archaeologists in the, in the field of, 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 of creation and who marvel at the... Even though Genesis 1 and 2 are written very poetically and, and depending on whether you take a literal day uh, approach to, to creation or whether it was literal days between vast epochs or, or whether each day represented an epoch, doesn't really matter. But the progressive nature coming out of Genesis answers so much that even the, the most astute Scientific minds in the realms of archaeology and the earth and creation are amazed at it and believe in it. Now, I know that's got its objectors, but they had objectors in the days of, of, of uh, uh, Marxism. No, no, Marxism. Uh, of uh, the evolutionist of uh, Darwin. You know, and Charles Darwin, he was the flavor of the of the universe 100 years back. But no recent archaeological scientist actually believes in his theories anymore. They were a stepping stone to some other truth. And he wasn't all or bad, 
But it was so misunderstood and it became evolution versus Bible. The Bible's not competing in the scientific realm. It's not trying to set a case of scientific accuracy and exact breakdown. It, in a poem, it just starts with, in the beginning, God. Beautiful. He is sovereign. Everything he does is because that's what he chooses to do. That's how he rules the world. And even in the beginning, God created. The ninth characteristic of God is, is that God is Trinity in communion. The, the word in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word Elohim, was a plural word. The word itself connoted uh, when God said, let us create man in our own image, in Genesis one. There was a sense that God wasn't just this isolated, independent one, but God was this community, this expression of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we use illustrations to try and capture some of that, but we mustn't lose the main thing. God is a community. He's in commune with himself, co-equal with himself. You know, just because I stand here as a, a pastor, I get home, I'm a husband, and tomorrow morning when I'm having my quiet time, I'm a son. doesn't mean I've changed, but that illustration can fall short of understanding the Trinity. The other one they use is, you know, the eggshell and the white and the yolk. Uh, you know, uh, the shell is an egg, the white is an egg, the yolk is an egg, but the yolk isn't the shell and the shell isn't the... And it kind of, maybe it helps us a little bit. But let's not miss the main thing, that the Father and the Son are in communion with each other, and the Holy Spirit together, co-equal, co-respecting, co-honoring. And that concept is taken through the Old Testament, but it's really made more vivid in the New Testament. Through the ministry of Jesus, you start seeing the traces of it. And because of the danger of polytheism, believing in many gods, even Jesus in his time was very astute about the way he communicated it. He always gave honor and reference to the Father and acknowledged the Holy Spirit. But when he got pressed by religious bigots and religious uh, uh, minded people, he began saying some really far out things. And there's a whole lot of passages around where although God is one. We see that God the Father is referred to as God. Jesus Christ is referred to God. And the Holy Spirit is referred to God. And nothing more clearly than in, in Revelations, when John falls at the feet of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, and he cries out, and Jesus says to him, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come. Very clearly now, what started in Genesis in embryonic form, let us create, is developed through understanding Elohim in plurality to where Jesus comes, and in his baptism, there's the, the voice of the Father, the, the lighting of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' commission to us is to go in his name with the Holy Spirit 
and the Father. Um, he, he, again, here where Jesus says, uh, okay, it's not, it's not here. Yeah, yes, in John 8 verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. There's that, there's that word again, that I am. It's the present continuous verb. It's, it's I am. If you didn't know that, that the, that's a verb. And maybe you can give us a, an English explanation of that one day. It's like when someone knocks at the door and you say, who is it? And they say, it is I. That's the correct, not it is me. Okay, so we're going to go off into English now. But the, the, the present continuous verb of, 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 of I am is, is what God referred to himself as. In Exodus, when Moses said, who should, I, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? And he says, tell him, I am sent you. Jesus takes that same phrase. I mean, that is remarkable. Now, I know the subject of the Trinity and the deity uh, confuses some. And, and sometimes in our interaction with people, we've got to tread lightly there because Sometimes people aren't ready to acknowledge that Jesus is God. They've got to find Jesus as Savior first. They've got to find Jesus as the one that God sent to die for them first. And out of that revelation, we don't have to believe in the deity to be saved. You've got to believe what Jesus did for us as a result of God's love to be saved. But I know for myself it was years of struggling with this. Almost to the point where I thought, the, the church was blaspheming. And I know for myself, God had to do a miracle with understanding the deity. Just, there was a stage in my life where I cried out and God, and suddenly it was, it was like Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas. He came to the room and said, I'm not going to believe unless I touch him. And Jesus walks in and he goes, oh, my Lord and my God. It was like one of those moments for me. It was like, when, it, it was at a communion service. I still remember the place, the date. I'd been, I'd really been through bi- halfway through Bible college. I used to drive my lecturers dilly with the questions I asked. They used to always know at the end of the lesson there'd be one guy hanging around with a list of eight things to ask. They would just see me coming, and this one plagued me. Jesus is God. But here the day. I saw it. And I knew I was saved before that. I didn't need to believe that to be saved. But it took my Christianity from Jesus being this wonderful son of God, the prophet, the one who died to God himself who came to earth and said, I'm going to show you at the highest level how I feel about you. My tenderness, my compassion, my, my, my zealous desire to draw you to myself. I'm going to bleed out for you. The deity is is a very special subject to me. God's communion. And then we come to number 10. So, So was that all right? For one night, 10 attributes of God? I'm I'm Looking forward to, to next week and talk about 
10 different names that God used about himself that also progressively revealed who he was. To get a Bible view. The, the last one, God is loving and merciful. Let's just read some of these. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Come let, Let's read this one together, Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4 verse 10, if you can see it there above the mark stands, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You you may have have heard me use this anecdote before. Forgive me if you have. I've been here 22 years now. Forget what I've said. But these twin brothers had a rare blood type. And the one brother is involved in an accident and they need a blood donor. And his little seven-year-old brother, twin brother, says, of course... I'll donate blood for my brother if it's going to save his life. Take him through to the emergency, hook him up to a tube, blood going directly from him to his brother. And the two boys lie there on the bed. And after a few minutes, the brother who was donating his blood, who hadn't been in the accident, called the nurse over and said, sorry, tell me, can you tell me how long it's going to be before I'm dead? Just stuck with me that God bled out because that was his only way he could fulfill justice of of the universe in sacrifice and at the same time demonstrate his love. What do you do with a God who lets you kill him and then uses that same thing to draw you to himself? To show you, man, you might doubt some of the things going on around you. You might question some of the... What's life throwing at people around you? But this thing you can't question, that God so loved the world that he gave. And when he gave, he didn't just give someone else, like one of his sons. God became flesh. God was in the flesh. God took the sins of the world upon himself and said, I'm going to be prepared to bleed out for you if that's what it's going to take to show the world. I'm committed and I love them. This is how God demonstrates his love for us. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. We need an exalted view of God. Whatever box you've got God in at the moment needs to expand. And remember, you started because God revealed himself to you. Can you trust that he'll keep revealing himself to you? God, you know every hair on my head, every day numbered before me, every breath I've ever taken. You know your purposes for this planet. And all I know is one day in the eons of of eternity, I will look back and go, now I get it. Now I get why Job said, though he slay me. Yet will I praise him. Now I get it. Because all the time, God was righteous and just. 
Because he knew all things. Because he was immutable. Because he was unchanging. Because he was loving and merciful. I didn't get some of those things on planet earth. In that small little burp of time we called existence. You know that in the, in the cosmic clock of eternity. These couple of million years are like this. And after you've lived a few hours past this, you're going to still know. You're going to look back. You're going to say, I didn't get it all because we're going to never get it all. Isn't it good to know we're going to keep growing in our knowledge of God? That we're never going to reach a stage that some of the Greek philosophers said and some of the Greek uh, ideologies kind of, we reach a state of God where we become God and then we create other gods that go and create other cosmoses and then those gods all melt together and weld into this big thing and become a bigger God and that God keeps developing and growing. Blasphemy. God isn't growing and developing. We're growing and developing. God is the same. The greatness of God in a billion years from now is the same greatness of God a billion years behind us. The only difference is we're going to be there in a billion years' time, 50 billion years' time, a trillion years' time, and we will still be growing. Bill, we're going to get together and say, see, at last I understand God's immutable nature. And I'll say, yeah, now I've got it way back, you know. And increased. A growing revelation of God. Okay. So that's some teaching for the night. I hope those ten things help you. 